So our, meeting, uh, our reading today is from Book of Malachi, uh, chapter 2, beginning at verse 10. Uh, do we all have one Father? Did no one, did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary of the Lord the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favour on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one, sorry, to the one, sorry, does violence to the one he should protect says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Thanks, Rick. Good morning, everyone. If we haven't haven't met before, my name's Mark. I'm a student minister here at Trinity Bay, or a minister in training. Uh, Basically what that means is I study at Bible College full-time and I work a day a week here. So my main role here is running our 6pm evening service. Uh, You should have got a leaflet as you've come in and they have an outline of the talk where we're heading so that'll, that'll just give you a bit of a better chance to follow where I'm going and keep your Bibles open to that passage. Uh, That will also help you follow as well. All right, who here has seen the movie The Notebook? I'm expecting a lot more female hands to go up than male hands and uh, Dave and Steve, good work guys, good work. So The Notebook, um, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, it takes the, the story of Noah and Ali as they meet, they fall in love, they heartbreakingly go their separate ways and then then they end up back together again. And so it takes that story and it intertwines it with years later where Noah and Ali are in their old age. Now Ali has severe dementia and she doesn't even recognise Noah. She's living in a nursing home and Noah comes in every day uh, to visit her, to read her the notebook of the diary of how they got together in their relationship hoping that she'll remember one day that the story is actually about the two of them. It's a beautiful picture of faithfulness in marriage. Now, whether you're here this morning as a Christian or just checking out what church is all about, um, faithfulness is something that we naturally admire and we strive for. We have faithful intentions. And yet, so often, it seems to elude us, doesn't it? About 40% of marriages in Australia end in divorce, and in many cases, some level of unfaithfulness is the cause of that divorce. 
But it's not just marriage, is it? Who here can honestly say that you've never had someone who's broken your trust in some way? Or that you've never broken someone's trust in some way? Faithfulness is a good thing in all kinds of relationships. But so often we fail at it. We fail to be faithful to one another. Maybe a helpful starting question would be, what's our motivation for being faithful to other people? The passage that Rick's just read to us gives us a bit of a way forward of thinking about why we should be faithful to each other and what it is that we model that faithfulness on as well. Now, just to be upfront, we'll touch on some issues that I'm aware will be sore points for a number of people here. So thinking specifically of divorces and marriages where one person's a believer and one isn't. Uh, Many of us will be affected by one or both of those, whether that's directly or indirectly. So just aware that these are very real issues that we're dealing with here. And particularly in the case of divorce, I realise there's a lot of hurt, a lot of grief and a lot of baggage that comes with that. Uh, Can I just say this passage isn't here to needlessly hurt anyone. It's not here to to make us uh, feel bad. It's here to point us to a faithful God and to show us how our faithfulness should be in response to how faithful God is to us. Uh, So if there are any issues or concerns that are raised from the passage or from the sermon, please come and have a chat to me or have a chat to Cameron afterwards. Really, the last thing we want is anyone walking away from here feeling further away from God rather than closer to him. Well, if you're joining us for the first time in this Malachi series, you probably feel a bit lost diving in here. Malachi is right at the the end of the Old Testament. It's probably not a book we're entirely familiar with. Uh, Just a quick summary of where the book of Malachi fits into the Bible. So God has allowed his people, Israel, to be taken into exile as a punishment for them rejecting him as their God. Uh, They've returned from exile, but we've seen in the the past couple of weeks, Colin's sermons on the first chapter and a half of Malachi, that Israel have slidden back into bad ways. Uh, They've been unfaithful to God. They've done that by offering dud animals for their sacrifices. Uh, They've done it by their priests turning away from God's ways. They've been unfaithful to a faithful God. And so we see in verse 10, Malachi asks, Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors? This word covenant, it's it's really the key to understanding God's faithfulness to his people right throughout the Bible. Right back near the start of the Bible in the book of Genesis, God makes a covenant with a guy called Abraham. He promises that from Abraham he'll make a great nation with countless descendants. They'll have land, they'll have the privilege of being God's people. And as the years goes on, as the, the books of the Bible go on, God is faithful in keeping these promises over time. And he continues to remind the people as well of the expectations that come with them being God's people. He makes it clear that he didn't choose to, to bless Israel because of anything good that they'd done, but it was completely out of his love for them. And even when Israel turn away, when they worship foreign gods, when they reject him, he still shows his faithfulness to them. And so Malachi is saying here, God has been faithful to us. How can we be unfaithful to him? Because the reality is that being unfaithful to each other is being unfaithful to God. 
And Israel at that time were being unfaithful in their marriages. Unfaithful both to each other in their marriages and to God in their marriages. Israelite men were leaving their wives and they were marrying foreign women who worshipped foreign gods. Now at first we might read this and assume that maybe they're the Israelite wives were getting on a bit in years and the Israelite men had found some more attractive women in the next town over and they'd, they'd made the switch. Um, probably wasn't quite like that. So if we, if we examine the, the context here, Israel had just come out of exile. They were a, a weak and vulnerable nation. And so these mixed marriages that they've had here were probably an attempt to secure alliances with some of the more powerful towns around them. There are two big problems here. And the first problem Malachi mentions in verses 11 and 12 is that God's people are marrying people who worship foreign gods. So that's the issue here. It's not a racial issue at all. The the issue isn't that these are foreign women. The issue is that these are women who worship foreign gods. Right throughout Israel's history, God has consistently commanded them not to marry people who worship other gods. And he doesn't just give them this arbitrary command, but he he tells them the clear reason that he's telling them this. Uh, So we see in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, God gives them this command. Do not intermarry with them, that is, the the nations around you. Do not give your daughters to their sons, or or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. So they're to avoid these marriages because they're going to be led astray. They're going to be led to to worship other gods and to reject the one true God. And the sad thing is that as we see Israel's history unfold, uh, this is fulfilled. They disobey this command. They intermarry with other nations. They worship other gods and they reject God. And in his anger, God punishes them. He sends them into exile. And so Malachi is looking back at all this and he's saying to them, look at what happens when God's people worship foreign gods, when God's people marry people who cause them to worship foreign gods. Look how easily we're led astray. Why take the risk at all? It's a bit like if you were an alcoholic, why would you keep alcohol in your house? If you were addicted to gambling, why would you go to the casino? Israel had a track record of being led astray. And so why put themselves in such a risky situation? Okay, so the first problem, Israel are marrying women who worship foreign gods and who will lead them away from God. Second problem, these marriages are also deeply offensive to God because of the unfaithfulness that the men have shown to their wives. They've been unfaithful to the wives of their youth by divorcing them. They've done violence to the ones that they're supposed to be protecting. Now, divorce was, it was permitted under the law that God had given to his people. We see that in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Um, Men had the power to divorce their wives. But what's also clear right from the start in the Bible, right from the beginning of Genesis, we see in chapter 2, is that it's the preciousness of marriage in God's sight. So in Genesis chapter 2, we see that when a man is united to a woman, they become one flesh. And so to tear a marriage apart is, in God's sight, that's really tearing a person 
apart. So God had made allowance for divorce, but it clearly wasn't something that he approved of at all. And because men had the power when it, when it came to divorce, they also had the responsibility to care for their wives as the vulnerable partner. And so by divorcing and abandoning their wives in, in this situation that we see here, they completely failed to do that. And so really, in this, in this time and place and this culture, this is really the greatest act of unfaithfulness you can imagine. And it's in complete contrast to the great faithfulness that God has shown to Israel. God has been faithful in his covenant to Israel, but the Israelite men have been unfaithful in their marriage covenants. And Malachi is saying, this is not right. All right, so what about for us? How does what we read here shape the way that we think about faithful relationships today? The principle is still the same, and that is that our relationships need to reflect God's faithfulness to us. God's faithfulness to us really has to be the lens that we see all of our relationships through. And for us today, we actually have an even bigger view of God's faithfulness than the Israelites in Malachi's day did. And that's because we know about Jesus. See, God is perfectly faithful. But we aren't. And we all know that from our own experience. We, we know that we're not faithful. We know that the people around us aren't faithful. And that's because of sin. Sin is that part of our nature that causes us to, to want to do things our way rather than God's way. And sin works on three different levels. There's the, the vertical aspect of sin where sin affects the relationship between us and God. Sin causes us to be unfaithful to God. There's also a a horizontal aspect of sin where sin causes us to be unfaithful to each other. It affects our relationships with each other. There's also the, the internal level where sin distorts the way that we see ourselves. And so we see that sin really has an impact on every aspect of our lives. It's got 360 degree coverage of us. And because of sin, we fall short of being who God wants us to be. And that's why Jesus died for us. He died so that all of our unfaithfulness, all of our sin could be placed on him so that God could forgive us. So these these great words in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the picture of God's faithfulness to us through Jesus, even when we're not faithful. And of course, we were reminded about it celebrating communion just a few minutes earlier. And God doesn't just forgive us. He welcomes us into a relationship with him. He adopts us as his children. And he promises that we'll be raised back to life after we die. To live with him forever. So because of how faithful God has been to us, we don't get what we deserve for our sin. And we have an unimaginably good future to be able to look forward to. This is the the good news, the life-changing news that we celebrate as a church, that we're on about each week as we meet meet together. So if if you're not sure, if that's quite where you're at yet, if you've you've still got questions about it, if you're still working things out, come and have a chat to me or to Cameron afterwards. We'd love to be able to explain that to you a bit further. 
Now, if the Israelites who lived before Jesus were expected to be faithful to each other because of God's faithfulness to them, then how much more so should we be knowing all that God has done for us? That means being faithful in our marriages, but it also means being faithful in all of the relationships that we have in life. See, this is a heart issue that we're getting at here. The the passage that we're reading here is addressing a very specific situation where Israelite men were being unfaithful to their wives, but it calls us to, to look beyond the immediate circumstances here and to see what the heart issues were behind what was going on and how we live in response to that today. So for us, our relationships with family, with friends, uh, with church members, workmates, everyone needs to be displaying God's love and faithfulness. The rest of the world needs to be able to look and to be able to see Christians being radically faithful in our relationships. So marriages where there's complete selflessness and honesty, friendships where we're in it through thick and thin, we're sacrificing our time and our energy for the good of each other. And so if someone's going through a tough time, they know that they can count on you to be there for them. Friendships where there's no breaking of trust, no gossiping, no speaking inappropriately about people behind their backs. Putting aside time to pray for our church family, our immediate family, our friends, bringing their needs and concerns before God, where this passage very much calls us to to live faithfully in every aspect of our lives. There's also the other side of the coin, though, and that is recognizing what causes us to be unfaithful. See, no one, I don't think anyone chooses specifically to be unfaithful. I think faithfulness is seen as a good thing. It's more that we slip down that path of behaving in an unfaithful way. And unfaithfulness comes from the sinful desires within us. It's when we idolize things, when there are things that we want more than we want to serve and to honor God. Things that we're trying to find our fulfillment in rather than finding that fulfillment in God. For Israel, the the unfaithfulness that they were guilty of, it was really just a symptom of an underlying idol that they had. It's a bit like if you've got a a headache or a sore throat or something. It's it's not the headache and the sore throat that's the, the deeper problem. There's something else going on in your body that, that's causing that. I don't know enough doctor talk, and there's a few doctors here, so I'm not going to try and sound clever, but there's, there's something wrong beneath the headache that, that's causing all of that. And it's the same thing here. There's, there's an underlying idol. And for Israel, that underlying idol for them was security. They didn't trust God to provide the security for them. And so because of that, they were, they were looking for that security from the nations around them. And to get it, they had to be unfaithful to their own wives. And so we need to recognize when our hearts are so set on something that it causes us to be unfaithful to God or unfaithful to each other. I can think of times in my life when that idol for me has been other people's approval. And to get that approval, I've said things about other people that I shouldn't have. I've been unfaithful to other people in my words. I can think of times in my life when that idol has been comfort. And to have that comfort, I've put my interests ahead of Alicia's in our marriage, or I've 
my interests ahead of someone else in a relationship. And so I've been unfaithful to someone in the interests of my own comfort. When unfaithfulness occurs, it's because at that moment, something has got a firmer grip on our hearts than our desire to serve God. Maybe it's a desire for security, like Israel had. Maybe it's a desire for comfort or for approval, for purpose, for power, whatever it is. Whatever it is, we need to remind ourselves that these idols, they give us a false hope because they promise things that only God can truly provide. I went to a wedding a couple of months ago to very good friends of mine, Adam and June. Uh, Neither of them are Christian. If Jesus provides the ultimate example of faithfulness, if Jesus is the one who defines what faithfulness is, does it mean that they can't be faithful to each other in their marriage? Well, no, I don't, I don't think it means that because God has made us all in his image. He's made us relational creatures. He's made us to desire faithfulness and faithful living. But without a relationship to God, without having faith in Jesus, our faithfulness, it's never going to be quite as God intended it. And that's because it's going to be based on our imperfect view of faithfulness and not God's perfect view, which he's shown us through Jesus. See, it's not our faithful actions that make us right with God. What makes us right with God is putting our faith in Jesus, trusting that the only hope that we have is because of his death. When we've put our trust in Jesus, when we've made him the king of our lives, we're going to want to live lives that honour him. Because he lived the faithful life and died the faithful death that we needed. Okay, so where does that leave us with the two big issues that were raised in this passage? Marriage to unbelievers and divorce. Well, as far as marriage to unbelievers goes, it's important to, to realise that God relates to his people differently to how he did when this passage was written. Uh, so we're, we're no longer a nation under God's rule, under God's law, but we're actually a people all around the world living under God's grace. And so we can't just take verse 12 and plant it straight into the 21st century with, without any of the context around it and say that any Christian who marries someone who isn't a Christian isn't a Christian anymore. We can't do that. There's a similar principle here that, that remains, though. Uh, for example, if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39 in the New Testament, Paul says that Christian widows who remarry must marry Christian men. I take it that's a principle that he intends for all marriages, not just for remarriages. So a Christian who is married to someone who isn't a Christian is going to have unique struggles that come with that. There'll be different priorities, uh, there'll be different values that each spouse will have. That's because those things are shaped by a relationship with Jesus. Uh, things like how the money, how the family's money is going to be used, how children are to be raised. Uh, the reference in verse 15 to godly offspring there is because children are given the best chance to, to grow in the faith when they're raised in a family with Christian parents who are faithful to each other in marriage. And also, if you're married to someone who isn't a believer, they may be a, a wonderful, kind, caring person. 
they may be supportive of your faith, but they'll never be able to, to point you to Jesus during the difficult times. They'll never be able to encourage you in your faith when you need it. And so, from the Bible's perspective, marriage to someone who isn't a believer is unwise because ultimately they're more likely to lead us away from God than to point us towards God. And for the same reason, it's unwise if you're a Christian to date someone who isn't a Christian for the same reason, because they're far more likely to lead you away from God than to point you towards God. Okay, what about divorce? Jesus is asked about divorce in Matthew chapter 19, whether it's okay. And in his answer, he goes right back to Genesis chapter 2 and says, as we heard before, what, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And he then says that any man who divorces his wife, except where she's been unfaithful, commits adultery if he remarries. And so we, we have this consistent picture right throughout the Bible that marriage is something precious in God's sight. It's not to be entered into or exited lightly. Now, we don't have time for a, a full analysis of all the, the possible arguments of when divorce is acceptable. I think you can make a very good case for divorce being appropriate where physical abuse has taken place, for instance. The point, though, is that, that God never takes pleasure in divorce. It's always a terrible thing when a marriage ends, even in situations when it's necessary for that marriage to end. But if you're here this morning as someone who has been through a divorce or you're in a marriage where one person is a believer and one isn't, none of these things are beyond God's control to powerfully work through for, for our good and for his glory. God promises to always be faithful in whatever circumstances we're in, and he calls us to be faithful to him in whatever circumstances that we're in as well. Now, for those of us who, who aren't in a situation like that, it's important to love and to care for people who are. Not to judge, not to exclude, not to treat people poorly because of these circumstances. Um, so I'm studying at Bible College at the moment, many of you would be aware. And I did a, a college project this year on the topic of divorce and specifically how the church should care for people who have been through a divorce, um, whether that's an a current divorce or one that's happened in the past. Something that really struck me as I was doing the research for that, I was in the college library and looking at the books in the divorce and marriage section, and I reckon there were about this many books on, you know, the theology of divorce and when is divorce appropriate, when is it not, how do you exercise discipline, all that sort of thing. And I reckon there were about this many books on actually how do you care for people in that situation. And it just... It just got me thinking, have we got the balance a bit wrong with that? That's uh, a difficult circumstance and um, people, we need to love people, we need to care for people, we need to support people who are going through these circumstances. Now the point of this passage isn't to criticise anyone whose marriage hasn't been a, a Christian marriage success story. It goes much wider and, and much deeper than that. It challenges the heart issues that stop all of us uh, from being faithful to each other as we should. 
It challenges each one of us, whether, whether we're married, divorced, or single, to live with the faithfulness that God has called us to. God has shown us incredible faithfulness through Jesus. He saved us and, and called us into a relationship with him when we didn't deserve it. And we honor him by reflecting that faithfulness in our relationships with each other. The world should see how we love and care for each other as a church and in it see a glimpse of God's love and faithfulness to us. The challenge for us is to be faithful just as he's faithful to us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that even when we were sinners and we deserved anything but your faithfulness, that you showed it to us through Jesus, uh, that you showed uh, the perfect demonstration of faithfulness in his life and his death for us. And we pray that you would help us to live lives with that as the lens for how we live and that in our marriages, in our friendships, in our family relationships, that you would help us to be continuing to, to raise the bar in how we take the faithfulness of Jesus and uh, make it the model and the motivation for how we live. Please help us uh, not to be people who seek to earn your favour through our faithfulness, but people who uh, seek to respond to your grace through our faithfulness. And we pray that people would see our faithfulness to each other, our faithfulness to those around us, and they would see a glimpse of your faithfulness to us. And so that's in everything we do, uh, we would honour the faithfulness that you've shown to us, We'll be mirroring it in our lives for your praise and glory. Amen.